Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about an interesting way pills made from poop could help millions of people with allergies, how researchers edited the contents of a pair of donor lungs to better match the recipient, and how pain can affect a baby's development and what parents can do about it. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. (sighs) Nate, I hope you brought your hand sanitizer, a newspaper, goggles, and a noise machine because we're spending some time today in the bathroom. I get the noise machine, Callie, but why do you need goggles in a bathroom? I don't want that air in my eyes. Oh, you might be right. Well, we might need a higher tolerance for that kind of stuff if we're going to get through this segment. Today, I want to tell you about a revolution in allergy treatment that involves, well, taking poop pills. Poop pills? Come on. I'm serious. Poop pills. Folks with difficult food allergies may have some relief on the horizon. The promising results are from a small clinical trial conducted by allergist immunologist Rima Rashid. Rashid and her colleagues at the Boston Children's Hospital noticed something interesting about the stool samples of different babies. This is one of those episodes where I'm like, do I even want to know? And the answer is yes. (laughs) The bacteria in your stool are the bacteria in your gut. So a stool sample gives a window into the digestive system. The samples Rashid was looking at had some significant differences in the bacteria depending on whether or not the baby had a food allergy. Basically, there were a few bacteria species missing from babies who had allergies compared to those who didn't. Wow, so a baby with allergies is kind of like a hockey team without a goalie. A key player is missing. Exactly. So Rashid built an experiment where they transferred the missing bacteria species into the guts of allergy-prone mice to see if they may have increased tolerance to their allergens. And? It worked! The experiment woke up these immune cells known as regulatory T-cells, and that resulted in protection from an allergic response. So it's kind of immune system therapy. Indeed. Using bacteria from someone else's gut. Someone else's butt. Gut. From someone else's gut, Nate. Can I go on? Okay, good. I don't know if you know this, but they've been doing these sorts of transplants for a little while. It's just the allergies thing that's brand new. Sometimes a patient will be in a situation where they need a strong antibiotic to battle an infection, and sometimes that antibiotic treatment will kill off good bacteria too. So they might receive a fecal microbiota transplant to reintroduce healthy gut bacteria. Ah, interesting. Let me see if I got this right. It's like you're at a party... And there's somebody there you don't like. And you start being really annoying so they go away. But then you're so annoying that all your friends go away too. The fecal transplant brings your friends back. That's some magic fecal transplant. But yes, essentially. And this is typically done with colonoscopy. Yikes. But then you'd have new healthy gut flora, which you need to have a working gut. Isn't that nice? It is nice. I also like that they call it flora- Not exactly a bouquet of roses they're putting in there. So now for allergy treatment. They use the fecal bacteria from people who don't have the allergies and transfer them into people who do. And they do it orally in little capsules. Ew. Ew, of course, ew. But the pills are tasteless and odorless. You know they made sure of that. First thing they brought up in the meeting, no question. People will take a lot of pain and discomfort from medical treatments, but eating something that tastes and or smells like poop, I think that crosses a line. So, the trial. 15 participants. Only folks who believed it was odorless and tasteless. Ages 18 to 33. 10 of them received the poop pills and the other 5 did a course of antibiotics first. Clearing the room by being annoying. Yes, indeed. 
Both groups took 36 of the poop pills over a few hours, and in the end, about 40% of the patients saw a significant reduction in their allergic response to peanuts in four months. They weren't fully cleared of their allergy by any stretch, but working toward that, with just one transplant. Wow, that's cool. This could one day help many of the 3 million people here in the U.S. with difficult-to-treat, sometimes deadly, peanut allergies, and likely the 32 million people who have food allergies of any kind. So which worked better? You mean of the two groups? The subjects who took the antibiotics first fared better than the ones who didn't. The antibiotic group had a higher success rate, and their tolerance was even higher than the folks who saw benefit from the non-antibiotic group. When you get rid of that annoying person, you have a better party. (sighs) Aren't you the annoying one in your analogy? I don't think so, but also probably yes. Probably yes. Callie, do you know your type? Uh, probably about 6'2", looks like episode 1, Obi-Wan. Really? With the rat tail? Okay. But also, I meant blood type. A, B, A, B, or O. Uh, it's not a rat tail, it's a Padawan braid. Oh, well, you're talking blood antigens. I'll keep mine to myself if you don't mind, but either way, all human blood has either the A antigen, the B antigen, both, or neither, which gives you type O. Indeed, but what if your type could change? You mean like I start digging Lando? Or episode 3 Obi-Wan? I mean, I don't see why not. I'm still talking blood, Callie. Uh, Researchers have successfully altered the blood type of a set of donated lungs. And this could be enormous news for the more than 100,000 Americans who are currently waiting for not only a donated organ, but one that is a match. A match. You have antibodies to fight off antigens your body doesn't recognize. So I imagine receiving a transplant organ with your same blood type and therefore the same antigens is essential. A transplant with the wrong blood type can trigger a big immune system response that causes your body to reject the transplant. So the body attacks the only thing that is its hope of survival. That's awful. Exactly. But if you transplant type O organs, which lack blood antigens, any blood type can accept them. It's what's known as the universal donor. But since the type O body doesn't recognize any blood antigens, they can only accept type O organs. So they can give to anyone, but they have the hardest time receiving? Their strength to everyone else is a personal weakness. So researchers started to wonder, what if we could make all donated organs type O? Anyone could take them. How on earth do you edit the contents of an organ? It's not like you can cut me open and start twisting knobs like an old radio. Yeah, but if I could, you'd bet I'd tune you to the band Heart. I love Heart. Or maybe Florence and the Machines album, Lungs. Ooh, that's better. Researchers were able to tinker with the lungs thanks to a fascinating innovation called ex vivo lung perfusion, or EVLP. Ex vivo. Doesn't that mean outside an organism? Exactly. It's a plastic dome where doctors, scientists, and researchers can take donated lungs and increase their viability for transport. So these lungs could just be breathing outside the body. Is this from Dr. Frankenstein's lab? Well, we use them to keep the living living, not to raise the dead. But researchers wondered if EVLPs could help change other organs as well. Are we going to turn a pair of lungs into a heart? Researchers at the University of Toronto used type A lungs that were unsuitable for transplant and attempted to make them type O by eliminating their A antigen. To do this, they worked with a chemist from the University of British Columbia to find a natural antigen editor, the human gut. So the thing in me currently working through a bag of microwave popcorn is the key to organ transport. Well, researchers found two enzymes in the gut that digest sugar antigens with a striking resemblance to blood's A antigen. Okay, I've heard of heartburn after a meal, but lung burn? The researchers put a small amount of the enzyme into the type A lungs and waited to see what would happen. 
they didn't have to wait long. After an hour, 90% of those type A antigens were gone. And after four hours, 97% were gone. Dude, if I could clean out 90% of my emails in an hour, I'd be happy. Seriously, there's thousands. Are we cleaning antigens out of the lungs or did it actually change the lungs? Researchers think that while it's possible the lungs will start producing their own antigens again, it's more likely that if they can avoid rejection for a few days, they would go through a process called accommodation. The lungs would change to match their new body and stop producing A antigens. So these lungs could be plugged into a type O patient? We're still a long way from that kind of transplant, but it is a proof of concept. A shockingly cheap, easy, and fast proof of concept. The next step is to find animals or brain-dead patients we can try a transplant with. Oh, didn't we just transplant gene-edited kidneys into a brain-dead patient? Yes, brain-dead patients give us an opportunity to test these experimental surgeries without risking cognitive function. That must be a comfort to those families that their loved ones can help others. So what will this blood editing do for patients in need of a transplant? All right, Kelly, this is pretty crazy. This worked way better than anyone could have hoped for. Being able to create type O blood and organs could completely reorganize our transplant lists and make sure those who need the organs most, regardless of blood type, get them. Right now, there are about 2,500 lung transplants a year, and doctors think with this advancement and EVLP, that number could double. Will it be bound to lungs only? At the moment, we still only have the enzyme to edit out antigen A, and the EVLP is just for lungs. But there isn't any reason to think that once we perfect this procedure, we couldn't move to other organs, even blood itself. Well, that can help us all breathe a little easier. Also, maybe my type is changing. Maybe my type is more Han Solo. Now that is universal. I know. Do you like babies, Nate? Oh, definitely. They're so cute. I just always have a hard time knowing what they want. I hate when they seem upset, and I can't help. And it's awful to see them struggle. And it's unavoidable sometimes. The bonk on the head, indigestion, and yes, not knowing what's going on is so hard. Well, researchers are working on solutions to learn more about and improve the lives of newborns. New research is telling us a lot about how infants feel pain and how it affects their development. They've also come up with some ways that we may all have the power to reduce that pain. If there's anything I can do, I'll do it. Now, the solution might just be in your hands, Nate. This kind of research is relatively new. Funding for newborn and infant care didn't really start until public support got behind it in the 1960s after President John F. Kennedy and First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy lost their preterm son, Patrick. Sometimes all you can hope for in a dark moment is meaningful change. In the aftermath of the tragedy, hospitals began to develop newborn intensive care units, or NICUs, and doctors, scientists, and researchers started developing smaller diagnostic and surgical tools to better understand and treat infants. I just heard about a baby in Indiana born at only 25 weeks who was able to leave the hospital after 460 days in the NICU. It really is amazing how far we've come, but surprisingly, we still don't know much about infant pain. In fact, up until the late 70s and early 80s, doctors didn't think infants experienced pain at all. They knew they had the hardware, the nerves to feel pain, but they didn't think that babies had the software, the brain development, to process it. But if they didn't think they could feel it, did they just not think about pain? Doctors routinely did major procedures like open-heart surgery without any infant pain relief. Thankfully, doctors eventually picked up signs like rising heart rates that indicated the software was working just fine. Did they learn how they process pain? Those brains are still so young. What happens when you stub your toe? Oh, my toe kills. It's the worst. Right? Well, infants can't pinpoint pain locations. They feel like they had stubbed their whole foot. Oh, that's awful. But pain doesn't only affect their day, it can affect their development. Oh no, and I can't imagine it's helpful. 
It affects preterm babies in particular. They still have a lot of brain development that full-term babies do in the comfort of the womb. Pain can hamper the development of areas like the hippocampus and amygdala and can lead to lower IQs, lesser language skills, and trouble processing emotion. The worse the pain, the worse the consequences. That makes me just want to hold the little smush balls. But pain management is tough even for full-grown adults. And their little brains are too sensitive for most of our pain treatment, especially opiates. But researchers say your instinct might be our best bet. Holding them? Exactly. Research is showing that holding infants could overpower those pain receptor nerves with pleasant feelings. Overpower the bad with the good? Researchers at organizations like Sweden's Pearl, Pain and Early Life, think that skin-to-skin contact, preferably from the baby's parents, could be most effective. Are you telling me that love conquers all? This is the science I needed, Callie. It's not a new idea. I mean, a boo-boo kiss from mom always helped, but the Swedish researchers suggest we can take this a step further. It's called kangaroo care. Incredible. Swedish NICUs have begun paying parents to act like nurses, to give their preterm infant as much contact, snuggles, and hugs as possible, with the hopes of decreasing pain from procedures like blood draws and major surgeries. And paying them lets them do that full-time, without having to worry about their other work responsibilities? Exactly. This is no vacation. They are put to work. If the nurses can use them, they do. But if it took us so long to discover infant pain, how can we tell if we're reducing it? It's a tough question. Other neuroscientists have found that contact can make the brain use different pathways and dampen some of the processing that happens during pain. One neuroscientist is trying to create a pain scale by measuring infant brain activity during procedures, but we are a long way from implementing any findings. But does that mean less pain? It's helping us get to an answer, but we don't really know. With the absence of quantifiable metrics, we have to look at the qualitative, like infant's facial expressions and movements. That's encouraging, but boy, I wish it was a hard and fast solution. I know, but we've identified the problem and found a promising way to deal with it. Even better, it's something we're all capable of administering. It gives parents and infants experiencing some of the hardest days of their life a rare comfort. Hope. As Huey Lewis once said, that's the power of love. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Sufferers of food allergies may have hope for a cure in the near future, specifically in the form of a poop pill. These tasteless and odorless pills introduce gut bacteria from donors who do not have allergies, increasing protection from the allergic response. Researchers successfully changed the blood type on a set of donated lungs. This revelation could help more than 100,000 Americans currently waiting for an organ transplant because the blood types of donated organs and their recipients have to match. Infants can experience pain, and concerningly, the more they do, the greater the consequences on their development. Thankfully, researchers have found a promising solution, human touch. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our Discovery executive producer is Christina Bavetta. Our Discovery coordinating producer is Krishna San Nicholas. This show is hosted by us, Callie and Nate. Our head writer and senior producer is Joey Scavuzzo. Additional writing comes from James Lynch and Matt Mayer. Our researcher is Rachel Wild. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Carissimi. I'm Callie. And I'm Nate. We'll see you next week.